Welcome to Peers Like Me, a podcast hosted by Western New York Independent Living. Today, our guest is Rafiq Saleem. Our host is Maura Kelly, the voice of the individuals WNYIL serves. Hello, my name is Maura Kelly from the Western New York Independent Living. I'm the mental health peer liaison. Welcome to Peers Like Me podcast. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed by people who have been severely and personally impacted by mental health issues. For many people in this situation, seeking to be understood and having hope for recovery is often elusive. Peers Like Me podcast aims to address these barriers by educating listeners on all the different ways people can seek help, understanding, and hope through interviewing our guests about their journey of recovery, their community leadership, and successful lives despite their own issues related to mental health. Peers Like Me podcast also envisions increased understanding by our community, neighbors, and co-workers to have each one of us truly be included in our community and hope for recovery and living very fulfilling lives. And welcome. Uh, today's guest is Rafiq Salim, and Rafiq has uh, granted us his time to share with us a very important, crucial issue facing our country, our community, um, the, the Buffalo area, um, about uh, people impacted by mental health issues in uh, that got caught up in law um, issues, law enforcement uh, entanglement. So, Rafiq, welcome. Thank you, Maura. Yes. So, I asked you here, I know a little bit about you. Why, why do you, can you share with our community, our audience, um, what makes you qualified to talk about, we're going to be talking about uh, New York State incarceration mm-hmm. of people, uh, like experiencing the, uh, the New York State correctional system and what that like and how it impacts people um, labeled with mental health and how people in those systems uh, get out and, and adjust or, or transition to the community. This is going to be a three-part series on uh, recovering from correctional institutionalization. Um, so this is part one, uh, presenting what is the issue and where does Rafiq come to? Uh, <laughs> why would I want to have Rafiq here? So what, uh, what's your experience, Rafiq? Well, when I, I went to prison uh, when I was a young man. I was 18 years old, and I went to, uh, I found myself uh, within the New York State Correctional System. I left, came in at 18, and I left when I was 50. Wow. So that's 32 years in prison. Um, you learn a lot. And um, so during the course of incarceration, I mean, oh my God. If, if, you, if you did not have mental health issues before you went in prison, you would probably develop them while you're there. It's a very traumatic, um, very repressive, and very violent place. So is the name the New York State Correctional uh, System uh, accurate? Is, is that an oxymoron? Or, or like, is that, you know, like, is there correctional institutions? It, do, are people... I guess rehabilitated or corrected, or like, is it an environment where change occurs? I, I think the the prison system is is it has nothing to do with correction. That's the first thing. When, when I went to prison, 
in uh, 1976. There was like upwards, just a little over 30,000 people in the state correctional facility. When I left, it was like 150,000 people. Wow. So, and, and during that time, as the prison system expanded, the, the state did something unique um, that I think it took a lot of people by surprise, is Department of Corrections began to advertise prisons and communities as economic engines. Mm -hmm. and, and literally, the prison population exploded and not under a Republican governor, under a Democratic right. governor. So today, in 2023, it's been said, and it is accurate, that the biggest mental health institution in our country and in New York State is the New York State Correctional System. Like, that's where people, like, they used to be in hospitals and institutions. Now they're in prison. They're in Attica. They're in Auburn. You know, that's... So I was in I was in Attica, I believe, in the uh, the late uh, the late 70s and early 80s when the state was closing um, mental institutions around the right. state. By the way, some of those institutions that were mental institutions became prisons. Right. There was a, a mental institution in Gowanda. Gowanda. It's now, now a medium facility. It's yeah. now a medium correctional facility. Yeah. And we were so happy that that was closed <clears throat> down. In fact, Kathy Lynch, one of our peers, uh, helped close it down. But what happened? Well, within within a couple of years, as I, I saw it, I saw the, the, the population within prisons begin to change. When I first went to prison, it wasn't it wasn't as many prisoners, number one, and the people who were there, many had really violent crimes. And but as the prison population began to explain explode you began to see more people with, with uh, drug, drug uh, charges. And these are most predominantly users, people who were, who were addicted to drugs. And then you saw uh, in, the, in the late 70s, early 80s, you saw the mental health population from all those uh, populations closing began getting dumped into prisons. So they and they weren't getting help. They built a lot of prisons. And there's a saying, if you build it, they will come. So it seems that when they built these new prisons, they became overcrowded even before they they let people in. So that there there are a lot of perspectives on why the prison population exploded. Uh, much of it was uh, the so-called war on drugs, mm -hmm. which which really was a war on poor people, and a lot of the economic base in the country was leaving. In economics, they, they referred to, they have a whole term for that period uh, where our factories were closing and there were other industries developing in other parts of the world, the electronics injury, industry. So you look all the way across the Rust Belt and, and you see all these communities that are now gone. So if, if New York State did not create this prison industry mm -hmm. for employment, I'm not, we're not sure what would have happened in New York, but these prisons are all over these areas where people used to work in factories and, and farms. So those people now, prison is the industry. Right. Close, close uh, Clinton Correction Facility. Close some of these prisons in these areas and the entire community would evaporate. Right. And then, so I've, through my career, I've been to Bedford uh, Correctional, you know, maximum security, uh, Attica. Mm -hmm. 
they're far away. They're no, nothing is in, like, you have to drive hours and hours. And it's like they make it the most remote places. And that's where no one is except these industries, the, the workers, uh, to, you know. That feed the communities. Yeah. So those, the communities, when you build a prison, it, it's no longer about the prisoners in the prison. It's about the staff. Right. You have the correction officers, literally, that are guarding the prison because nobody right. wants to be right. in, a, in a jail. Right. Then you have all of the people that are necessary for the upkeep. You have plumbers. You have electricians. You, you, have, right. you have carpenters. You have things that need to be built and rebuilt every the food, year. The, the food, the industry. industry it's an entire industry, and right. it, so it supports a community. So um, people listening, I know I was curious decades ago, what should loved ones, should people, you know, that might be facing uh, prison, can you describe, like, what the experience is, and then we'll go from there as far as mental health. Can you just, like, people out there is like, I have no, under, I have no concept of this. So can, is there any way you can... Put a description. I know every prison was different, but was it really so? Well, and just so so people understand is that people in prison were moved around throughout the state for I don't know why, but they they move people around. You're not like camping out for thirty years. Like no, you, you you. There used to be a time when the prisoners were left in one place mm -hmm. um, for a long time, but as the prison population expanded. Uh, it became an issue of security that you don't want the same prisoners in the same place for a number of years because they get to know it and they know the staff. And so it's all about control. Right. right. And, and the prisons had a bus, they have a busing schedule where people literally get bused around the state. Mm -hmm. so, so prison populations are constantly overturning. There are people. So there's no stability. There's no. Absolutely no stability. Okay, so great for mental health. All right, right. So, so what's it like? Can you describe a day? And I know that's painful. I would guess it's painful. A day in prison. <laughs> I know one guy, one friend of mine said, I'll take your job here at, at Mental Health Peer Connection, but no way am I going to room with it. Like if I go on a trip or you know a training, there's no way I'm going to room with another guy. There's just no way. Like, just the, the situation. The first thing you lose in prison is choice. You, you, don't, have, you don't really have a choice of where you live. Um, you lose your clothing. In fact, your, your introduction into a prison is a, is a, is a deliberate dehumaniza mm -hmm. dehumanization process. Um, when I went to prison, the first thing they would do is they would put a group of men together in a room, and they would strip you. So everybody is standing in the room naked except the guards who have clothes. It's the first exercise of power. Mm -hmm. And and then, I mean, it's just, just humiliation. So Rafiq, when you went to other prisons, did you have to go through that again? Did you have to do that over and over again? Whenever you leave one prison and go to another, you get stripped. Wow. If, wow. You, go to, if you go visit someone, if someone comes to visit you, yeah. the, prison often, the person in prison often doesn't think about what the experience is like for someone coming to see them. You, if you go to see someone in prison, the first thing that happens to you is you have to make sure you have the right kind of clothing on. Right. You don't have excessive jewelry. Right. You have, you're going to be subject to searches. Um, you're going to go through metal, metal gates and wanding. You're going to go through all of this stuff 
taking your shoes off to go visit someone. Yeah, I, I know they wouldn't let me uh, go through the metal detectors with a bra. Like, so... So that's the visitor. Yeah, but yeah. for the person who's coming to the right, visit, okay. you get pat frisk. But after every visit, you get strip frisk. Oh, okay. All of your clothing, wow. take off all of your clothing, and they look in all of your body orifices after every visit. Wow, I didn't so, know that. Well, that's, part of, that's part of prison. And, of, of course, the reason that they'll always explain is to prevent the introduction of contraband into the prison. That's, that's the reason that you're strip frisked all the time. Your day starts depending on the kind of prison you're in. All prisons are not the same. Some are, there are maximum security prisons mm -hmm. in which people live in, live in cells mm -hmm. or rooms alone or with, or with another prisoner. And then there are medium security prisons, which usually are, are dormitories. Mm -hmm. It's a dormitory situation, but sometimes they're individual rooms. And then there are minimum security prisons which I've never been in. Mm -hmm. I've only seen them. But they're, again, it's, it's all about security levels. Your maximum security prisons have barbed wire fences, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes a wall, uh, medium security facil facilities. They also have fences or walls, mostly fences, and they're barbed wire and security details and towers around them, et cetera. Um, so we're, we're about halfway through. Uh did anyone ever meet with you to discuss, like, corrections, like changing your old behaviors and new behaviors? Or, like, was there any, like, I don't even, like, instruction, daily, li like, counseling? Uh, like, was there any... That doesn't happen. Right. So... That doesn't happen. When, when, you, when, you, when you go into a prison, everyone goes to what's called a reception center, a reception okay. process. All right. And that reception process is when you get an entire battery of tests to figure out, you know, what you know, what you don't know, what okay. kind of program and things that you'd be interested in. But most of it is just, you go through that process. But once you're in the prison, if yeah. you have any kind of significant time to do, you're more interested in surviving the prison. Right, right. Not, the programs are, are one right. thing, but that's what they are, programs. They're things that keep you busy. Um, some, some of the information you can gain from them are, can be relevant for when you leave. Um, the things that, that I found most important in prison for me mm -hmm. was education, mm -hmm. was reading and learning and trying to acquire skills that I knew would be relevant outside of the prison. It's easy for your life to shrink when you're mm -hmm. in prison. Uh, your family's not there. Um, when, you, when you're in prison, you can't afford to think about your family every day. Right. It's a distraction that can get you killed. Right. So, so you have to focus on the moment and on surviving the day. All right. So the Office of Mental Health in New York State uh, states that, or identifies that 24% of the people in the New York State Correctional Institutions have been identified as having serious mental illness. So I volunteered at Attica State Correctional and. I saw lines of guys in line taking their medicine, like on the, the cup was on the bars of the, the gel, like the, the mm -hmm. like just lines, just taking meds, just like, is 24% accurate in your opinion, in your uh, experience? 24% of people taking medication, I think that may be high, of people oh, okay. actually taking yeah, medications. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
if, if you think about paranoia, mm -hmm. if you're not paranoid in prison, you, you're probably going to have a problem. So, right. so some, some kinds of, quote unquote, mental illness mm -hmm. are quite functional. And if, you, and if you don't, if you're not paranoid, if you're not being aware of things going on around you constantly, right. you may be in danger. Uh, and I would think obsessive compulsive is very needed, too. You have Just you have to keep your areas yeah. clean yep. and neat. If Methodically, get yeah. Correct, yeah. and 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 you have to remember, you, prison is based on violence. We, we don't like to say that outright, right? But that's that's the reality. Yeah. Nobody wants to be there. Um, the first lesson you learn as a prisoner is that if you hit a guard, you can be you can you you may end up dead. Right, right. So so even if if a guard is telling you to do something that you know is incorrect mm -hmm. and you know is wrong. Right. The rule is you should do it anyway. Right. And then complain about it later. Right. Which is ridiculous. But, but it's but it's survival. What, but yeah. it's what the, the prison finds necessary to maintain control. So the, the ultimate threat in prison is violence. Right. You don't comply because you like your situation. You comply because if you don't comply, then you, you will suffer. Mm -hmm. That's prison. So, okay. So I wish there were an easy way to explain that. It's it's more the mental anguish, right, that gets you in prison. All right. So I think that's a good understanding of what goes on in the prison, like what, like the the trauma, the uh, the distress, the stress, the anxiety, the uh, like. I see it on your face. The the pain. The the pain. So. Your life, in, in, when, you, when you're in a maximum security prison, you live within an 8 by 10 metal cell. It's a cage. Mm -hmm. we, we don't, it's a cage. We right. call it cell. We have all kinds of euphemisms for it, soft terms that, for hard realities. Yeah. But you live in a cage, and those cages are stacked on top of each other. Wow. And, and in front of those cages are bars. And that's how you live. I mean, people live, we subject people to treatments in prisons that if we did, if we saw dogs stacked that way, we would right, say that's right, inhumane. Right. But we do this with people, right. but it's out of the public eye. Right. And, and the strange thing about prisons is that of all the horrors and, and evil that happens within prisons, and, the, and, I, and I mean the evils, I'm not talking about the way prisons deal with prisoners. Prisoners understand where they are. Right. I'm talking about the evils that come from guards. Yeah. The public doesn't chooses not to notice that right. until something happens in the prisons, like an Attica riot. Right. Right. And then suddenly the public notices, but, but the, the narrative they receive about what's going on right. is not coming from the prisoners. It's coming from the guards. Right. So what, what the public generally knows about prisons is confined to what the authorities say about it. Right. And the authorities are the guards, and the guards have no interest in truth, but in controlling the prisons. And, and this is similar to the Willowbrook Institution, where in the ni 1970, mm -hmm. the, these disgruntled employees gave a reporter, Geraldo, access to the institution, and you know the curtain was open, and inhumane, terrible conditions were exposed, and, and not... The narrative was had ended from the quote unquote 
doctors, you know, so the narrative couldn't go on further. And that's what you're saying is in the correctional facility. So you've presented the situation which people find themselves in having mental health issues. I'm wondering how the community now to go to part two. What is it before, like? Before, yeah, you, okay. before you get to that, Maura, yeah. people don't find themselves in prison with mental health right. issues. People go to prisons and, 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 and the repression and the struggle to survive in such an inhumane environment right. creates mental. So we talk about trauma all the time as, as at the root of mental illness. Well, if you're in prison and you're experiencing trauma every day, you're experiencing threats right. of violence, if not actual violence, threats of violence, that's not healthy. And, and then, and then there, there are no, there's nothing soft about the environment. And when, and when you try to introduce something gentle to the environment, it's perceived as weakness. It's like prison is like a bunch of males on steroids. That's what it's like. And you know who takes the most steroids? The guards, yeah. not the prisoners. So, so, it's, so it's, it's a horrible place in, in, in that respect. All right, and it, it's a huge American issue. Um, 70% of the people that have experienced uh, the New York State Correctional Institution are back in the institution within three years. So The system feeds itself. Yes. So, so the, the way the parole, parole is structured, when people leave, you never really leave. Parole right. okay. and prison used to be separate things. Now, now they're both within the same department. So many of the same employees that are coming from the prison, they end up on parole okay. as parole officers. And we're going to talk about that in part two, mm -hmm. about transitioning or getting out of the criminal justice system. Thank you, Rafiq. We are here with Peers Like Me podcast with Rafiq talking about the correctional institutions, quote unquote, the new mental health institutions of our society. Thank you. Stay tuned for part two. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Rafiq Salim. Our host has been Maura Kelly.